You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. This belief that moves. For, for me, uh, to illustrate this a little while ago, I don't know when it was, and in, in my, uh, my inability to call, recall any details of this shows, kind of proves my point too, because I don't know when it was. I don't know if it was something I listened to or if it was something I read or something somebody told me. No idea whatsoever. I just know at some point I heard or, again, read or I don't know. We established that. I have no idea. But, but I, I found out somehow that aluminum in deodorant is linked to Alzheimer's. I heard somebody say, hmm, that's interesting, right? I didn't know that. Uh, so, <laughs> some people are saying, oh, that's not true. Well, when I, when I found out about this, I went home and I told my wife, I'm like, hey, babe, I'm not going to use regular deodorant anymore. And I'm sure she was a little concerned, you know, like, okay, am I going to have a smelly husband for the rest of my life? Are you going hippie? What's, what's happening? It's like, no, I'm going to go all natural because, because aluminum in deodorant leads to Alzheimer's. I just believed it, and that belief led me to action. And I still, you know, maybe sometimes you don't want to hug me, get too close to me. That natural deodorant, you know, wears off. But anyway, I, but at least I don't, I'm not having aluminum under my armpits. I say all that to say, and you're like, where is this going? There's, there's a difference between that belief that led me to action and my belief about what exercise can do for me. I've told you, I, I, I've shared this before. I, I have a deep-seated belief that I never want to exercise. <laughs> even though every time I share that, like I went running with Nick Serene like once, and I don't know, even know when it was. And it was just like, this is stupid. Like I don't, <laughs> like I'm tired, you know, the next day I'm sore. Why would anybody exercise? I have this, and, and every time I say that, when I, when I share my belief about exercise, undoubtedly somebody will come up to me and give me all the reasons why I should exercise. And they'll talk to me about the long-term effects and the benefits of exercise. And you see, that proves my point even more because the only thing that does is it gives me good intentions but not action, right? To know more about what I should do and why I should do it leads me to good intentions. It leads me to think, you know, actually, I should do that. (laughs) And that's it. That's, That's all the further it goes. You see, belief that's real is belief that moves, And I think at times in our Christian walk, we can be people who are full of good intentions, but very lacking when it comes to action. And here's what James says about that. James chapter 2, I actually have it up on the screen. James chapter 2, starting verse 14. He says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things they need for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is James saying there? He's saying if your faith doesn't move you, then you have to ask yourself, is it true faith? If your belief doesn't move you to action, is it true belief? Is it real? And this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Abraham, and he's finding a wife for his son, and we see that there's some amazing things that happens in uh, Genesis 24. I've been delighting in this this chapter over the past few weeks. But, But what we see is a faith that moves. 
is a faith of belief, this, this deep-seated understanding of who God is that moves Abraham and his servant and the people around him to action. And I want to take a look at what that would look like for us to have a faith like that. So if you're in Genesis 24, let's go ahead and read together. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Let's stop there. Two things the author wants us to know as we go into Genesis 24. Two things. Abraham's super old, and he's super blessed, all right? I mean, did you catch that? Like, he uses two different ways to describe how old Abraham is. And, and I mean, rightfully so, at this point, most likely Abraham is about 140 years old. That's a, that's, he's getting up there, right? He's about 100, 140 years old. If you were here last week, Todd preached on Genesis 23, where his wife passed away. His wife passed away, and he went through, through this... The, trying to, to figure out how to bury her and where to bury her and all these different things. But, but he's getting old. He's getting up there. And yet, the second thing the author wants us to know is that he is incredibly blessed. And why I want to stop for just a second before we keep going on to point that out is because at this point in Abraham's story, this point in the narrative, Abraham hasn't seen all that God has promised that he would see, right? Abraham hasn't seen all that God promised him he'd see. God's promise to Abraham was, was twofold. It was that your descendants would number as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. How many descendants does Abraham have in Genesis 24? Do you guys know? Genesis 23, Genesis 24. How many descendants? One. I see hands out there. One descendant. Well, two, right? Jeremy, technically. There's, all, there's one in every crowd, right? Yeah. Ishmael. But... But God is saying, no, the, the, the promise will come through Isaac. The promise of your descendants will come through your one son, Isaac. And, and we're going to read more about Ishmael in just a little bit. But, but, but he's saying, this is your one descendant that the promise is going to go through. He has one descendant. God promised him, your descendants are going to num- outnumber the stars. They're going to they're be like the sand. He's, he has one, and he's 40 years old, and he's unmarried. <laughs> Like, I don't know about if there's any parents with older children and you're just fretting, like, I don't know if my son or daughters, you know, it's like, you're just worried that this is where Abraham is. His one son in which the promise is going to go through that his descendants would outnumber all the, there's one. And the promise is that his descendants would inherit the land, would inherit the promised land. The only land Abraham has at this point in time in Genesis 24 is a field with a cave in which his dead wife lays. That's the only land he has. He essentially owns a graveyard. And yet, here's what the author, I believe, is getting us to understand. Is it just because God hasn't done all that he has promised, it doesn't mean that God is done with Abraham. Amen? Just because he hasn't done everything doesn't mean that he's done. And I think there are times in our lives where we can get in the middle, we're in the middle of our story, we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing all these different things? I am experience all this hurt, this hurt and pain and all these different things. And I believe that what we can see from the very beginning of this chapter is just because God hasn't done all that he's promised, it does not mean that God is not done. There's more to come. And I love Abraham's understanding of this because we see that played out in the rest of the passage. Verse 2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. 
that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. Now, let me, <laughs> if you didn't catch that, sometimes, again, sometimes I think we're, we're so familiar with the Bible, we don't catch the things that it's like, wait, wait, what did, what happened? What did he say? Verse 2, and Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. All right. That's weird. Okay, can we just admit? Can we just all agree? That's weird. Uh, I, I, I was reading different commentaries trying to think, well, maybe this is like a common practice back then. You know, they did weird things back. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this was like a, a handshake at the end of an, uh, an agreement where it's like, I'll sell you my refrigerator. All right, put your hand under here. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll make this official. Like, no, that's not, that's not what happened. That's not what's going on. See, the, the word for thigh, it makes it even weirder when you understand that the word for thigh is actually the word to, to represent the, the male reproductive parts. Gets even weirder, doesn't it? But what is Abraham doing? As, as Abraham goes to his servant and he's saying, all right, look, I, I want you to find a wife for my son. He's, he's having him put his hand under a place where this promise is going to come from, where, where his son came from, where, where all these things are coming from. What Abraham is doing in, a, in an odd way, a weird way, I wouldn't say do this, all right? But what, what he's doing is he's saying, all right, enter into this with me because God is not done. God hasn't finished. God's not done with me. God's not done with our family, even though he hasn't done all that he had. I think that I think you could look at this and say, yeah, Abraham, 140, are you kidding me? 140, a 40-year-old unmet, there, there's no way God's gonna do anything. And yet Abraham's saying, oh, you don't know my God then. You don't know my God. And so he has his servant put his hand in the place where all this promise is gonna go from, under the place, and he makes this promise. He says, go find for my son Isaac a wife. And he tells him to go back to his home. Go back to the place where he came from. Because he says, I don't want him to take a wife from the people that we're among because we're supposed to be separate from them. We're not, even though it might be easier, even though you look around and it's like, well, but we, we could, we could, you know, intermarry, and we could get, to, you know, we could, we could get good standing, and we could get more power if we just do it this way, if we just do it the easy way. Abraham's saying, no, I want to do it God's way. I want to do it God's way, and so he, he has him make this promise, and yet the, the response of the servant, I love it, he says in verse 5, the servant said to him, perhaps, <laughs> he's like, okay, wait, wait just a second, before I put my hand anywhere, perhaps, right, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? He's asking a question. It's a valid question. He's saying, all right, if I go back, and it's a 400-mile journey to go where Abraham's asking him to go. That's a long ways. That's a long ways now. But it's a super long ways, I would assume, for camels. I don't know how fast camels go. I didn't Google that. But, uh, but I'm sure it's not very fast. I'm sure it's not faster than I-70. That's a long journey. And he's saying, all right, what if I go all this way and I show up to, to your father's home and I say, hey, hey, ladies, gather around. Now, I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me 400 miles back. And there's a really great guy way back here. There's a really great guy. Trust me. He's, he's good looking. He'll take care of you. You know, I, I, I think he's saying, what if the, all the girls are like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, like, let me see him before I, before I agree to this. 
And he's saying, if that's the case, if, if no one agrees to come with me, should I take your son back? What he's asking is, is it more important for Isaac to have a good thing, or is it more important for him to stay in the presence of God where God has led him? Is it more important for him to pursue a good thing, or is it more important for him to stay where God is? And Abraham answers, he answers this in verse 6. Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. See, what Abraham is saying is that it is more important for him to stay in the place that God has him than for him to pursue good things. And man, this is important for us today, isn't it? I think at times we can follow things that are good but are not God. I think at times we can follow after things, whether they're relationships or jobs or a paycheck or or a house or, or whatever it is, and they're really good things, and yet to pursue those things, we actually lose sight of God who gives, who is the giver of all good things. And so Abraham's saying, no, keep him where God has him because it is more important for him to be right with God for him to be right with a woman. Amen? So Abraham, he says, no, keep him here. Keep him here. And he, he goes on and he begins to explain why he says this. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. I love, I love what Abraham is saying because he's saying, look, no, God has, God has more planned. God is still working. God is still moving. Again, just because he's not done, just because he hasn't done everything that he had promised, it doesn't mean that God is done. And so he, 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 he establishes this faith, this belief that moves him to action, that's moving his servant to action. He establishes it by saying, this is why I can say these things. He says, first of all, I know who God is. I know who God is. He says, God, the God of heaven. In verse 3, in verse three he says, the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth. He's saying, let's first of all look at who God is before we look at the impossibility of our situation. Let's look at who God is. He is the God who sits in heaven. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, what, what, how did he start? Our Father, who art in heaven. Why did Jesus start his prayer like that? Did, did he want his disciples to know where God's address was? Did he want his disciples to know, like, just, just so you know, God's not here on earth. He's up in heaven, which is way up there. No, that's not, this is, a, this is a statement about authority. And when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, pray like this. Our Father, there's a relationship there who art in heaven. There is a relationship there, but we need to understand that he is the one in control and the one with the power. He is the one who sits enthroned above the heavens. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. See, what we see here is what Abraham is saying, what he can base his faith in, what he can base his belief in that causes him to move, which leads him to action, is an understanding that God is in charge. And not only that, but he says he's God of the heavens and God of the earth. He's saying, man, yeah, I know this feels impossible, but God made us. God made my son, God made me, God made you, God made the young woman that you're about ready to go interact with. 
I can trust him because he knows what he's doing. Not only that, not only does he say, no, here's, here's where my belief is. It's, it's in who God is. But he says also, it's in what God has done. I mean, if you look at that, he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. Saying, I can look back at my life and I can have faith and confidence in what God's going to do next because of what he's done back here. You see, God brought him out of his, out of his land. God brought him from a place of darkness. God brought him from a place of death into a place of promise, into a place of life. And Abraham's saying, I can trust God because I know, if you remember, if you've been with us long enough to remember the messages, remember the two messages where, where it seemed like it was deja vu, where there was, a, there was a famine in the land? And so Abraham, because he was afraid of the famine, he went to a foreign land, and before he went into the foreign land, he was afraid of what was going to happen. His wife was super hot. So he's like, hey, you are really good looking. And you might get me killed because somebody might look at you and say, man, I want to get with her, but I got to get him out of the way first. So he said, let's just pretend, let's just tell everybody that you're my sister instead. Twice, twice it didn't work out for him. It was really bad, bad idea. And yet I believe as, as Abraham is saying, no, remember what God has done. He's remembering the times that he screwed up. And yet in the midst of that, God was faithful. He's saying, I know, I know there, there was an old hymn. I believe that it says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And that's what Abraham's saying. It, it reminds me of when I was in Sumner, and uh, I was a young pastor, 24 years old, starting to pastor this church. And there was this old guy. His name was Bob, of course, right? His name was Bob. And Bob, just this old, bald guy, you know, he'd kind of, uh, you know, like walk around. And, and the first time I went to the church, preached. Um, trying to figure out, is this where God has us go? I get done preaching. I come up. People are greeting me, you know, well done, pastor. Good job, pastor. Um, small church, you know. And, and he comes up to me, and he grabs me by the ear. And I'm 24, <laughs> brand new church, never met anybody here before, grabs me by the ear, and he, you know, he takes his hand down and says, just what I thought, still wet. <laughs> right? You, you get it? He's saying, oh, you're still wet behind the ears. Now, some of you are like, well, that was kind of mean. It wasn't, because Bob was awesome. <laughs> you see, from my time there, Bob would start coming to my office, like, once a week at least. Bob, Bob was on the last uh, battleship to be sunk by Kamikaze in World War II. Amazing stories. Amazing man. And he was the kind of man for a young pastor where I would ask Bob, I'd say, Bob, what do you think about this? Uh, we, uh, what do you think about, like, a contemporary service? What do you think about bringing drums into the sanctuary? And he'd say, well, I don't know, but we can try it. If it doesn't work, we'll do something different. And I loved Bob because I knew Bob had my back because he was tried and tested. And Abraham is saying the same thing about God. He's saying, I can have faith in where God is leading me because of where he's led me up to this point. Not only that, not only does he have faith and he... he he builds this belief on who God is. Not only does he build this belief on what God has done, but he builds this belief on what God has promised to do. Again, he says, uh, the, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me that my descendants will, will have this land, my descendants will inherit this land. He's saying, he promised these things. And so he says, his angel's going to go before you. 
His presence is going to go before you. Why? Because he promised it, and I can trust in the promises of God because God is good. Amen? Amen. We can trust in the promises of God. When we read the promises of God and when we see places like the Great Commission... This says, go, therefore, into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And, and therefore, lo, I am with you always. What's the promise of God? I am with you always. Go out. Yes, you're going to have troubles in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Man, praise God, what Abraham's saying is that I, we, can, we can walk fully. God is going to continue to work because he has promised this, and it's not done yet. So I know God's not done yet. And he can walk confidently and build this belief, build this faith that moves him to action. And, and what we see next is exactly that, the faith of Abraham setting the foundation for the actions of a servant. And I love this next part, verse 10, so verse 9, we can't skip that. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. He's like, okay. And he swore to him, he says, all right, we're, we're going to do this. Let's go. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please take down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. You see, what, what's happening, they, they travel this 400 miles. It doesn't even really talk about that. They, they get to where they're going. They kneel the camels outside the city, by the well, by the spring. It's the time of day where women are coming to draw water out, and he prays this prayer. Now, I don't think this is prescriptive, but it is descriptive. So, guys, if you're looking for a girl... Don't just go to the mall and say, God, if I ask a woman to give me her milkshake, and she says, yes, and I'll give a milkshake to all your friends too, that'll be my wife. Like, that's probably not a good idea. But there are a few things, there's two things, two characteristics of this prayer that I believe we need to understand when we think about what does it look like to have a faith that moves. The first thing that we see in this prayer is that he prays it in the right place to see God work. Do you see where he's at? He's at the well. And he's asking God, God, when a woman comes to draw water from this well, I'm, I'm going to have this interaction. And if, he, if she responds in this way, let her be that one. So he's in the right place. He doesn't pray this prayer way back in Canaan. Like, God, if, if it's your will to have a woman, let her be along the roadside with some water. And I'm going to ask her to give me a drink. No, it, it's not that. It's like, it's like if I were to go to the supermarket and I'm walking down the cereal aisle and I'm saying, please, God, let there be peanut butter Captain Crunch. Oh, praise God. You know, it's like, like he's in the right spot for this to happen. Do you get that? He's in the right place and it's at the right time. This is the time where women come out. He's not in the middle of the day saying, God, make something crazy happen. He's just saying, God, when a woman comes out to draw water, let this interaction happen. And if it happens, then let this be, let this be the woman that I'm supposed to, to take back with me. God, God, work. And I think oftentimes the reason I wanna, want us to, to look at that is because I think we can pray prayers full of faith 
but never put ourselves in a position to see those prayers come to fruition. Never see those prayers. We, we pray and we ask God, God, grow my faith. God, grow my understanding of you, and yet we never put ourselves in a position where our faith can be grown. The second thing he says, not only does he pray this prayer in the right place, but he prays it with the right motive, with the right spirit. Because I think that what he could have done, what he could have done, is he's like, well, I'm at the well. It's the right time. This is where women come out. So I I don't know. I'm just going to start running up to women and asking for a drink and and just start asking, hey, are you part of Abraham's family? Hey, do you want to get married? Hey, are you single? Hey, are you a virgin? Like that, that might be awkward, right? But he could have done that. With his human understanding, with his human efforts, he could have done that. And yet what he realizes is that if if God's not in it, he is not going to see what God wants to be done. If if God's not working, it's not going to happen. If God's not working, if God's not moving, he's not going to find a wife for Isaac. And so he understands that it is God who works. It's the same thing the psalmist says. I don't have it up on the screen, but Psalm 127 verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Let me ask you a question. From that verse, who's building the house? Huh? God? God, right? It says, again, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. All right, so God's building the house, but who else is building the house? The laborers. So who's building the house? The laborers. But who's building the house? God, right? Do you see that? What, what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, if we don't do that, like we can do a lot of things by our own power. But if we do that, nothing will actually get accomplished. We can do a lot of things as Anthem Church by our own power, can't we? We can, we can have amazing music. We can send people overseas. We can, we can fill a room by our own power, by putting on a good show. But what we see from Scripture is that if we don't have the right attitude, that if we don't continue to go before God in prayer and say, God, we're going to continue to labor, but you have to build the house. Because we have no idea. Let me let let you into a secret. We have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) You know, some of you are like, oh, that's not true. I I mean, I don't know, right? (laughs) See, what he's doing is he's saying... God, you have to work. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm putting myself in the right position to see you work. And I'm I'm putting myself under your authority because it has to be you. And let's see what happens. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, I love that. Before he had finished speaking, he's praying to God and says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Let's just stop there. So what happens as he's praying, as he's in the right position, as he's in the right mindset with the right motive, as he's, as he's putting himself before God, it says that Rebecca comes out. Before he even stops praying, she comes out. He, he notices her. She's good looking. She's, she's single. 
And she's, she's coming out to the well, and he, what does it say that he does? Runs up to her. I, I love the position of the servant's heart. He runs to her. I, I think that we can, we can kind of hold back and it's like, well, I don't know. I, I know I prayed this prayer, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I'm, let me be timid. Hey, can I have some water? Okay, no, no. And, uh, like, no, he runs to her and he says, give me a drink of water. Can I have a drink of water? And it's so, it's so awesome to me because I believe that what we see in the attitude of the servant is reflective in the faith of Abraham that brings movement is that he is in the right place with the right posture. He's praying to God. He's asking. And I believe that what we see is that this servant has a belief that God works when we work. Let me say that again. God works. He believes God works when we work. In the reality of his presence, and the reality of his, of his provision for his people, God works when we work. It reminds me of like if, if, you, know, if you were go to a, going to a um, coffee shop, you know, and you're sitting there and you're saying, God, please give me somebody to talk to today. And somebody just has, happens to sit beside you. Say, okay, well, God, this must be the person. Or you can say, oh, well, that's, I mean, I didn't mean now, God. <laughs> I meant like later. After this person leaves, right? We can, we can have this attitude that's like, well, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray big prayers, but I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. And, and we can kind of have this mindset like, that might say, God, please reconcile. Like if you, have a, if you have a broken relationship, if you have brokenness in your relationship, we can have this understanding that says, God, please bring restoration in my relationships. God, please bring, bring healing in this relationship. And you say that because you know that's what you should say, especially as a believer. That's what you should say. But in your mind, you're thinking, but I pray to God I never have to interact with them again. And you find reasons to, to skirt around them or you find reasons to avoid them. And, and, and it's, see, what I believe that we see from the servant, instead of that attitude, it's saying, God, please bring restoration as I'm picking up the phone and dialing this number. God, please bring restoration. As I'm getting in my car and I'm starting up the engine and I'm gonna drive to meet them, to, to talk to them, God, please bring restoration. It's, it's praying big prayers when you're putting yourself in a position for God to work and move because the servant believes, I believe what we see is the servant understands that God works when we work in the understanding of his presence and provision for his people. It is a faith that's built on who God is what he's done and what he's promised to do that leads him to action and movement and it is a true faith, a real faith. Do you see that? You see, I, I think that oftentimes what, what we can see here is, is as Christians, again, we can become all about good intentions. And, and we, again, we ask God, God, please enlarge my faith. God, please, again, God, God enlarge my my platforms. God, enlarge my, my ability to speak to people. And yet we never put ourselves in a position to speak to anybody. We, we say, God, please, please deepen my faith. And yet we get so upset and frustrated when anybody would point out anything wrong with you. See, what the servant is doing is he's saying, God, I'm in the right position. Maybe for us here at Anthem Church, the right position for us to see God work is to put yourself in community. It's to put yourself in connection groups. 
It's to put yourself in positions where you're serving. It's to go on a, on a Christmas trip. And, and you're stepping out saying, God, I don't know what you want to do with my life. I don't know what this is going to look like. But I want to put myself in a position to see you work and to see you move. Amen? Do you see that? And with the right understanding that if, if anything's going to happen, if God's going to do anything with our efforts, it's going to be because he is God and he is on his throne and he has created us and he knows what's been back here and he knows what's going to happen up here. And it's all because of God. So praying in the right position and with the right understanding. See, as we go on in the story, I'm, I'm actually not going to read a whole lot of it. I would encourage you, maybe in your connection groups, to read through this story. Because what happens after this is the, the servant begins to praise God. Because he, he sees that this woman is the woman that he had prayed for. He sees that she is the woman that God had, had, had offered. And so he asks, like, can, I, can I stay? Do you have room for me and my, my camels? Do you have room for me and the, the people I, I came with? She's like, yeah, I, I do. And she runs back home, tells everybody. They come. Laban, her brother, comes. And, and he checks out the situation, maybe being a big, good big brother. He's like, who in the world you know, wants to stay at our house? <laughs> What's happening here? He gives her gold. Like, there's, there's all these things that happen. And yet the servant... After this, he retells everything that happens. He's so excited about what God has done. He's so excited about the movement he's seen. He tells everybody in the house what had happened. And he says, will you let her come back with me and marry Isaac? And they said, well, if God is in this, we can't be against it. And then it comes time for Rebecca to make the decision too. And she says, all right, I'm coming with you. I'm going to uproot my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet this guy that I've never, never known. And at the end of the chapter, it says that as they come up, Isaac's out in the field, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees the caravan. Rebecca's coming in the caravan. She lifts up her eyes. She sees a guy far away, and she's like, hey, who's that? I'm like, well, that's Isaac. She puts a veil over her face, and it's a wedding. It says Isaac is comforted after his mother's death. They, we see that they lift up their eyes and they see each other. That's a common theme that we see throughout Genesis. If you've been here with us, you see that. And I believe what it means here is that God is still working and moving. And he wants to move through people who are willing to be moved by him. Amen? See, this morning, my question for you, again, is what does it look like to have a real faith? What does it look like to have real belief? In the same way that I stopped using regular deodorant for a silly reason, what does it look like for us to say, God, I believe that you want to work? To have a real faith that's based in an understanding of who God is, that God is the authority of your life, that God is not only your Savior, but he is your Lord, that he is in the driver's seat, that he is in control. What would it look like? What would it look like to understand that he is the God that has created you? As, as God told Moses, I'm the one who made your voice. I'm the one who puts you in the position you're in. I'm the one who created you to interact with the world uniquely the way only you can. I've created you and I've put you in a position. And what would it look like to, to have a faith built on who God is and what he's done in our lives? See, in Romans, we see that what he's done for us as believers, that it says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us to bring us back to God. That is, if, if you are a believer in here, you have a miraculous story. Amen? 
You have a miracle story that you were dead and now you are not. That's what God has done in your life. And, and those of you who have walked in the Christian faith, you can point to other things. Guys, I can stand here on this stage believing and trusting in God that, that I don't know what my future holds, but I know what he's done in my past. I know that he has saved me. I know that all the health issues that we've been through with my daughter, he has been faithful. He, is, he has upheld us with his strong hand. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know what God's done in my past, and so I can walk confidently with my trust in him. What about you? What about you this morning? Not only that, but do you have a trust in the promises of God? That he wants to do some amazing things with your life. Do you trust him? See, Anthem Church, I have a desire for us to be a group of people, a whole a whole community of people who have a faith that's not based on good intentions but is moved to action because i believe that when we see a faith that's moved to action we see a big god who loves to delight in doing some amazing things amen Amen. so this morning what does that look like for you are there relationships that need to be mended are there steps that you know you need to take are there things that you need to put to death what does that look like for you to have a faith that moves. I wanna, I wanna pray for us. God, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, I praise you for, for who you are, for what you've done and what you continue to do. And God, I do pray that you would just continue to, to move us as a church, that we would rely on you. God, that we would be people who are moved because we know you, because we have seen you do amazing things and you have promised to do even more than we can imagine. We praise you, God. We thank you, and it's in your name. Amen. Amen. What we do here at Anthem Church is we, we respond almost always in communion. And so this morning, as you think about what I've talked about, as you think about what it looks like to have this kind of faith, I want, I want us to, the, the band's going to play. We're going to sing a song. And when you're ready, we're going to go around to the communion tables. And there's, there's some set up all around the room. There's gluten-free in the front if you need that. But as we go to these tables and as we, as we break off a piece of bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and as we dip it in the cup, in the juice, that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, I want us to understand and remember that we can be people who are moved by God because God has moved in us. We can be a people who God can do amazing things with because he sent his son to die on the cross to bring us back to life. And so this morning, as you go to the communion table, I want, as you take that, Maybe just ask God, God, what would it look like? What do I need to do right now to have a faith that moves? So whenever you're ready, the band's going to play. Whenever you're ready, let's get up and take communion together.